With any renovation project, there are so many decisions to be made and making the wrong ones can be costly in both time and money. Trust me. So when it comes to building your dream home or finally adding that extension for the space you so desperately require, there's one thing that you need, and that's a builder. I'm Laura Jackson and welcome to So How Do You, a new podcast designed to be your little black book for interiors bringing you the most practical advice and interior know-how from industry leaders so that you can create your perfect home, no matter what your budget. In each episode, I'll be delving into a different part of interior design, from architecture all the way to the finishing touches. Hopefully, you'll learn from some of mine and my guest mistakes so that you can make interior decisions with confidence. Let's start with the bricks and mortar. In this episode, I'll be answering the question, so how do you choose a builder? by speaking to Lucy Williams, who's currently renovating her new home, builder Neil Lloyd, and interior designer Sophie Rowell. Those that follow me will know how fraught life can be, but I've got the perfect solution for living a little bit calmer, and that's by our sponsor, Grass Co. Life can sometimes feel quite overwhelming, if I'm honest. However, I've been enjoying how Grass Co. premium CBD oil has really helped calm the noise of everyday life. CBD is a natural extract of the hemp plant, which is both legal and non-intoxicating. Grass & Co. deliver the highest quality CBD infused with absolutely delicious naturally sourced botanicals. There are three ranges, Calm, Rest and Ease. My personal favourite right now is definitely the Calm range. It blends CBD with ashwagandha, chamomile and mint with vitamin B5 that helps support mental performance and relaxation. Personally, the way that I've worked this into my routine is to take a few drops of the CBD oil and put them under my tongue in the morning to prepare me for the day. It's really helped me stay calm and more focused. I might even add a few drops at night as well to help drift me off to sleep. But they've got this amazing pillow spray that's got some wonderful tranquil aromatherapy scents that do help drift me off most nights. Now for the good bit. So Grass & Co have offered listeners to this podcast an exclusive 25% off their order via their website using the code LAURA25. What a deal. Listen, you just got to go to the website grassandco.com and put in L-A-U-R-A and then the number... 25 to start your own karma journey today. Honestly, I can't wait for you guys to try it. I've been living in my house for about six years and I've really taken my time with it. I've done room by room, space by space. I'm absolutely no expert, but I've spent a lot of time researching. I've made a lot of mistakes, and I think I've had quite a few learnings along the way. But what I will say is that I've loved every single minute of it. I'm really excited to introduce to you my first guest on the episode. It's Lucy Williams. Lucy's a digital creative and brand consultant and has just bought her new house, an 1890 Victorian terrace, in need of a total revamp. I'm really keen to hear how she's approached such a huge project with her builders, how she's found them and the lessons that she's learned along the way. I am so excited to talk to you about your new house because you are currently mid-renovation, right? Yeah, in the thick of it, totally. No, I'm really excited too because 
Yeah, I mean, I'll talk to anyone and everyone about the build and most people find it quite boring. <laughs> so it's really nice to talk to someone who's actually quite interested. And what what are your plans for the house then? I mean, are there any massive structural changes? I think you're adding an extension, right? Yeah, so I've done a kitchen extension, which is just a classic sort of side return, you know, in that Victorian going going out into the sort of old alleyway. And then we turned the second biggest bedroom in the house into our sort of ensuite and a little mini walkthrough wardrobe. Um, so we we did that and then and we had to take out a chimney breast in order to do that. And we also, the, the lady who'd lived there before me, she'd already done a loft conversion, um, but we added what they call a pod room or an outrigger bedroom, which is like a tight, you know, a tiny, tiny little bedroom with a mansard roof that's kind of between the first floor and the loft um and I think most people have it as either like I don't know like a little dressing room or a little bathroom we've got it as like a little extra study because we both work for ourselves so it's quite nice having and yeah I have a horrible you know I just like things so just the more space the better so yeah and also I was just like go big or go home (laughs) let's just do it all (laughs) when did you buy the house so we completed on it last October. So it will have been, it, the whole sort of renovation will have taken about a, oh, just over a year to the day. Um, and then we started work on it in, I think, I can't even remember if it was the beginning of February or the beginning of March, but sometime around then. So that sounds like it needs quite a lot of work doing to it if you're renovating for a year and a half. Yeah, I mean, so it will have been just a, about, I think about 13 months, the whole thing will have taken it. But it was, one of, it was one of those houses where like, it was, it's a very traditional Victorian terrace, had grand plans of finding some really unique mid-century house in the middle of London, but didn't didn't manage to do that. And it, I knew it needed like, it needed a kitchen extension, it needed redecorating. But then when we dug a bit deeper, it was like, oh, I didn't realize that all the plug sockets were in the skirting boards. Okay, it needs totally rewiring. Um, the boiler was condemned and it only had one bathroom. So there was just quite a lot. And then once I got into the nitty gritty of it, I was like, okay, we basically need to just gut the whole thing and redo everything. So yeah, it kind of just, the the to-do list slightly just kept spiraling. And we took, I took about five months in the prep stage of like with the architect, with surveyors doing doing lots of surveys on everything, damp, timber, all sorts, just so I knew exactly what we were dealing with. So that we didn't dive straight into the build straight away. We had a bit of time to figure it all out. So how are you approaching this renovation? You, you bought the house, then what did you do? So then I knew that I wanted to do quite a lot of work and I started, I think I started reaching out to architects, first of all. Um, I already had one architect on my radar because someone had put I, another house that I was looking at a while ago that was a listed building someone had put me in touch with the architect that we ended up using, Chantelle from Flower Michelin. She and she was really helpful with that. She just gave me lots of advice. She was really friendly. We got on really well. So reached out to her and I think about, I mean, quite, a, I think I spoke to about four people, four or five. That I found really hard because for me, like choosing 
the person to do things is I, I found really stressful. Like paint colors and stuff like that. I'm kind of like, oh, you know, if it goes wrong, you can change it. Whereas I was like, oh God, I felt like it was like, I don't know, I was choosing a spouse or something. Like it felt really intense. And actually I'm, that one of the main reasons I ended up choosing Chantelle was like, she really like held my hand through the whole thing. And I took them up until stage four in the architect process. So they haven't been project managing it, but she just gave me so much advice and sort of told me like, right, you're going to need this. You're going to need that. And then you need to make sure you do this. And she's very on it. And before I was just like, I don't know what to do. <laughs> so she really helped. No, it's interesting that you're um, using your architect to the point where they're not project managing. So have you got a separate project manager? So my, no, so my builder is basically my project man, like they're internally managing it as well with, along with me. So it's kind of like a joint effort, but it was just, yeah, I think I'm too much of a control freak to kind of, I would never be able to hand it over to someone else, especially when we got into like the fixtures and fitting stage. Um, And budget wise as well, it just didn't, it was just one of those things where I was like, I, I think I can just do this with the builder. So then it was kind of really important to find the right, you know, to find the right builder that was organized enough and had had done lots and had overseen lots and lots of projects from start to finish that could do that. As Lucy said, she's decided to project manage alongside her builder, but not all of them can help you out to this level. So if you answer no to the majority of the next few questions, it's worth starting your hunt for a project manager. So do you have much spare time? Are you available to answer all incoming calls from your builder? Can you trust yourself to be on it when it comes to payment deadlines and communicating between every separate team involved? Be honest with yourself. Are you super organized? If you answered yes to most of them, we'll be getting plenty of practical project management advice from Lucy and Neil the Builder a little later on. So get your notepad ready. But first, I want to know how Lucy found and chose her builder. Again, I reached out to about three different builders. I think in the past, with lots of things in life, I can be a bit slapdash and a bit kind of like, Oh great, someone's recommended me one person. I'll just I'll just use them. And then with this build, my architect was really like, you know, you need to meet, you know, at least three people. You need to go to tender with three different builders. And I was like, right, okay, I'm gonna do everything by the book. Um, but in the end, so the builders that I'm using, they were recommend they were recommended by my architect who because they've used them on different projects. And I like the fact that they they knew um, like the chartered surveyor, they knew my party wall surveyor, it just sort of all kind of slotted in. And I think it's quite good to sort of have people that already know each other and work together because then you're not, you're not risking having any, you know, I don't know, any, any personalities that don't get on or one person saying to you, oh, well, we would have, done, you know, do you know what I mean? Like everyone just kind of slots in. Um they were very, very thorough in their tender as well. And so when I got the quote back, like everything was very itemized, everything. So I could really see like, okay, where can I cut costs? Um, what's more expensive than I thought? What's cheaper than I thought? Which again, the control freak in me really, really needed that. How has it been then communicating with your builders? Because obviously you have some really fun, interesting, um, exciting ideas for the house. Have they been happy to fulfill these for you? Or have they been a bit like, oh, no, that's not possible. Sorry, love. 
They're actually one the one of the reasons that I do I really like my builders are they're they're yes people. So they're never gonna they kind of say, Oh, that's gonna be tricky, and then it's up to me to make the decision. But actually, to be honest, my thinking where there's a will, there's a way, but obviously it just depends how much time you want to take on it and how much money you want to spend. And they're really open about that. But they're pretty open to things, I think. I mean Maybe they think I'm slightly mad behind my back, but to me, to my face, they're very polite and they think everything's good. Like we put in sort of new timber double glaze sash windows to sort of match the original ones, but just to sort of be a bit more eco. And um, the outside of them is all is blue. Uh, like it's like a sort of pale blue. It's, it's matched to Milan's Bedford Square. And I think they thought, it was a bit bonkers and I was really nervous as well because they were, I matched the color and everything, but I couldn't see them before they were going in. So I was like, this might look like really gimmicky and gross. I have no idea. But then when we put them in, we were all like, okay, it all looks good. So that, yeah. And and it was only afterwards that they were like, yeah, we were a bit worried, (laughs) but um, yeah. So far they seem pretty receptive. (laughs) If you hadn't have found your builders through your architect, which I feel like a lot of people say is a great way to find a builder, where else would you have looked for your builders? So word of mouth, I think friends, because yeah, I think I think it's always got to be some kind of personal recommendation. And I think also like doing your due diligence, I think maybe it's like a British thing, but I don't think we're naturally very good at asking those questions about like, how many projects are you doing? What's your annual turnover? You know, like you really have to like get into it with them. So I think you just have to really kind of grit your teeth and ask the the gritty questions, look them up on company's house if they're limited, you know, just do do your homework. I think friends who have used builders is a great way to find them because you can not only go and see the see the houses, but also like get a really sort of like honest assessment. Um, I think one thing that I everyone said to me, like a good builder, you know, they really and every builder that I spoke to was really keen to like go and show me their work and I, I you know, take me to personal projects and show you photos. I don't know. So I feel like it's nice to, you want someone who's like really proud of what they do and and has done quite a few projects as well, I'd say. I think experience is everything. I don't know. I think you um, you don't really want to be someone's first gig, I'd say, especially if it's your first gig. You know, I think if it's your first renovation, you kind of need someone that has, has more experience than you. So yeah, I think word of mouth. I wanted to ask about in terms of finding a builder that you felt aligned with in terms of finessing. So you want somebody yeah. that doesn't just lay the bricks. You want someone that kind of is a bit more thoughtful about maybe the interiors as well. Was this important yeah. to you? Yeah, I mean, I, I again, I'm just, like, you know, I keep referring to myself as a control freak. <laughs> so I probably wasn't looking for someone to, you know, maybe like aesthetics, you know, but I wanted someone who could do really nice finishes. You know, you want someone who, you know, has done really nice joinery, has done micro cement and bathrooms, just people who have kind of, yeah, just have that sort of extra level. And one of the, again, one of the main reasons I picked my builder was the house that he took me to see. It just, it was very nicely finished. And I think that's the thing. I think it doesn't necessarily, their previous projects don't necessarily need to be like your taste or anything, but they need to be, have that kind of nice finish that if that's what, you know, that that you're looking for. And I think 
Yeah, just people that have worked with lots of different materials. I mean, I kind of, in terms of sort of plug sockets, light switches, I always knew that that was something that I was going to specify. And I think that really only you can specify that because your builder's not doing your furniture layout. So I think you kind of really need to kind of take control of that. Things like lighting as well. Like, so I used a a sort of a freelance lighting consultant to help me do my lighting called, uh, you know, Max Barlow, who's actually an old friend of mine. He actually initially, he was going to just do my kitchen, but then in the end, it just financially actually made more sense for him to help me do it all. And just, and it's more just like, I knew like, oh, I want wall lights here and I want a pendant here and stuff. But in terms of getting it all on a drawing, so the electrician knows what circuit, what, which dimmer switch, like all that kind of thing. That was, so plug sockets, I actually found really easy, but lighting, I was like, oh my God, that is a minefield. So he helped me do that. So I think it is, nice sometimes to be able to like bring in you know experts in other fields to help you one thing that I and I felt so lucky because I was sort of like in January lockdown preparing for this build I had so much time on my hands just to google things and and figure things out which I would never normally have had but I do think doing lots and lots of research and trying to like drill down in what you want to do before you start is helpful for everyone because then when you're going to get a quote you can be really really specific I mean the one thing that my architect gave me the one piece of advice that I found really really helpful was she was like the main thing you need to know is what are you what are you supplying and what are they supplying and that's the main thing you need to know so if you're supplying the reclaimed floor tile or like, you know, then you need to specify that and they're just laying them. But if you're expecting them to provide the bath and that I was like, okay, that really helped. Because I before I didn't even know, like, how does it work? Like, do I buy the bath? Do I buy the sink? Do they buy the sink? How does it work? So, so that was really helpful. It honestly sounds like Lucy's experience has been pretty smooth sailing so far. I'm very pleased to hear it, but I can't say the same about my own personal projects. For example, I didn't do my proper research before hiring a builder and found myself with a cowboy builder who left me roofless in winter and he actually stole my car. True story. So it's safe to say I've experienced some horror stories. With older houses, there are still so many things that could go wrong that are unseen to the untrained eye. I mean, have you had any nightmares so far in regards to the builders and the construction? We haven't had any, I mean, touch wood, haven't had any major, I mean, we had a few, We like our living room ceiling fell down. I wasn't there for that, but it was like a very old lats and plaster ceiling and it was sort of bowing a bit in the middle and we were trying to sort of gently take off the ceiling rose and sort of patch repair it I I saw pictures but the ceiling completely fell down but to be honest it wasn't the end of the world because it kind of needed replacing anyway and we've got someone who can match the the ceiling rose and redo it so it's going to be okay we've just found it's just been delays I think everyone is finding that there's there's just so many kind of lead time delays. You know, you'll order uh, order bathroom taps. They say they're going to be 10 weeks and then it gets to 10 weeks and they go, oh, actually, it's going to be 16 weeks. And, you know, it doesn't almost it doesn't sound like much. But then when you've got your plumbers booked, you're then rescheduling them and they're on another job when you need them. And it just throws everything into disarray. So I think the whole the, the supply chain throughout the building industry 
you know, and the supply of, of labor, there's so much demand. Everyone's doing building work. But I think already, like, I really noticed, I was really feeling that over the summer, but now, now, now things are starting to arrive. Once you have the materials, things can move pretty quickly. So, um, yeah, fingers crossed. Speaking of the waiting game and then it all happening at once, one thing that drew me to Lucy's renovation story was that on her Instagram, she compared a house renovation to being pregnant and having a baby. Something I'd actually never thought of before, even though I've kind of experienced both. I had to ask Lucy exactly what she meant by this. I mean, that is outrageous given that I don't have any children, so I don't know where I get off to comparing it to pregnancy. Um, I think it was just because, like, in the middle of it, and everyone said that it was like this, but when when you're doing it yourself, you're like, oh, okay, I get it now. The beginning is really intense. Like, there's so many changes so quickly. Suddenly, the house very quickly looks like a building site. The demolition stage, everything gets ripped out, and the extension goes up really quickly. And then there's this lull in the middle where like like all the changes and all the money is just beneath the surface. So you're not actually seeing anything, but you're like, I know that it's still there, but it's not, it's just quite mellow. And it feels it can feel a bit frustrating because you're kind of like, oh, what's happening? And then I get, and then everyone keeps saying, then suddenly it's it picks up again. And I've now felt noticed that now we're in the last kind of two or three, two or three months suddenly it's like plaster windows skirting boards and it's picking up again so you then you suddenly see the final hurdle so yeah I just in the this summer I was like I just feel like this is this is everything I've heard about the second trimester but in house form (laughs) so that is how Lucy is doing it and if you're not put off by the pregnancy comparison although labor could be worse uh then I'd say you're ready So how can you communicate effectively with your builder and find one that you trust to create your design? I spoke to someone who I can trust when it comes to building. He's called Neil Lloyd and he's a contractor who co-owns Adam Lloyd Construction. Hi, Neil. Hiya. How are you? Um, I'm really good. I'm so excited to talk to you because I obviously know you as a friend and you actually quoted on my house yes when I was doing the build so we can kind of talk a little bit about that but and um, for people that don't know who you are can you just tell us a bit about your background and how you started Adam Lloyd Construction? Uh, Adam Lloyd Construction started like quite naturally when uh, I'd moved to London as a bricklayer and got called up to do a little private job rocked up there done a bit of brickwork and then the owner of that wanted a bit more work doing and then his son Adam came back and we finished off the job and we just sort of got on like a house on fire and then from there lots of people said who done this who who built it and we started getting little snippets of jobs and then with Adam's background and my background it just merged into this like nice easy going company where we we sort of tend to do like work that we like doing rather than stuff that we need to do you know so it grew naturally. Me and Adam are really close now and the work we're putting out is is what we want to be doing. Adam and Neil work across residential and commercial properties, but I want to speak to Neil specifically to get his advice on working with the builders you've chosen effectively. I want to pick his brains about managing projects with tradespeople and all the annoying things that we as clients do that end up slowing down the build. We might not mean to be a pain, but sometimes, come on, it happens. So if you're going through this process or you're about to, take notes. 
I think we use the term builder to actually describe what is meant as a contractor. Can you tell us a little bit about the difference between a contractor and a builder? I'd sort of say a contractor is like a builder who's grown to a point where he's now a, a company and he's got a few more overheads and he's taken on bigger work, whereas a builder would be sort of someone in the background of a carpenter or a decorator who, who takes on like smaller work. But then it always goes the one way. You sort of always get bigger and bigger and bigger to the point where actually I'm running like substantial jobs now. So you're you're on a more of a contract base. So would you say a builder is for more of a, a smaller job and to have a contractor is better on a bigger build? Yeah, I'd say so. So if say you were getting your bathroom refurbished, you'd, I'd sort of go, well, am I going to go to a plumber and a tiler or am I going to go to like a bathroom fitter, someone who does it all in-house, who will oversee all the little individual things and the finishes so you can just liaise with one person. On this note, I just want to highlight one of the first hurdles that so many people fall at, thinking that they're going to save their money. A lot of tradespeople will work as sole traders, which means that they don't have to charge the 20% VAT, unlike contractors like Neil or your local bathroom, kitchen, fitting businesses. But they might allow you to pay the workers direct, which will save you that 20%. But it also means that you're responsible for sorting all of the separate invoices and payments. On the surface, that doesn't sound so bad, but it really can be a lot to deal with. If it's a small job and you've got time to play with, it could be well worth it. But for first-timers or bigger jobs, trust me, you might be keeping extra money in your pocket, but you'll also be waking up in the middle of the night worrying whether you paid the plumber, ordered the grout, or picked your cut up from nursery. I mean, in my case, all three. So if you're embarking on your first home renovation, managing everything yourself can be quite full-on. And as Neil is about to point out, Are you fully sure you understand where to even begin with the whole process and what a normal timeline for a trusted builder is? We get a lot of people contacting us where we're based in Hackney who are like absolutely uh, like buzzing because they've just bought this house in Hackney and they're like, right, we bought this house, we want to do this, that, extension, basement, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, have you spoke to an architect? And they're like, no. And then like, so you, obviously there's a process. It's like finding an architect, getting your planning. I would say just after you get your planning is when you should start looking for builders. Just because you've got your planning doesn't, doesn't mean you're starting in two weeks time, which everyone thinks that they're going to do. So like finding a good builder who's recommended, has done work you can go and visit. It's like a three month lead time. Easy. So be and anyone who sort of goes, oh look, we've had a project cancel. We can start in two weeks. You don't want just want someone rocking up and going, I'm going to start de- demolishing your house. So if you have an architect on your build because you're doing a bigger build, do they project manage or does the contractor project manage or is it overseen by both of them? So architects fees and a project manager is two different things. So when you sign up with an architect, you get, you've get you bought your set of plans and his experience. So once you've signed that over, he is always a hand to explain stuff to the builder. So if you get an architect who says, no, that's me done, there's your plans, you haven't really picked right. So, but architects will stay on the build for a fee and do like weekly progress meetings and liaise with the client. But the project management of the construction is solely the builder. 
so that the architect's there to assist and help you move forward along the program to set the way you should be doing it. And then sometimes you'll have an architect who's like, here's your plans, get on with it, give me a shout if you need me. That like It's better that you've got this overseeing body who's the liaison between the client and the builder who can sort of like like break down the builder's jargon because we we talk in riddles to some people, but the architect totally understands it and knows how the building should flow, and he's got a better way of describing it to the client. So I've done a build two ways before. I did a bathroom where I kind of project managed, and I um, found tradesmen online, so particular tradesmen. So I had a tiler, um, I had a plumber, a carpenter who helped with the floors, and I oversaw and project managed all of that. And though I saved money. It was an absolute headache and probably took three times as long. Whereas when I did the kitchen and the conservatory, I used contractors and they, like you say, project managed everything, lead times, payments. But one thing that that I found is communication is absolutely key. I, 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 on my notes, I've, I've like loads of this, I've read communication in red pen and circle day. And it, it just boils down to, making sure everyone knows what the end goal and the end product is. So if you've got one little link in the chain where they they just think they're turning up to do plaster a wall, but they're not sure on the detail of how something is, it's like everyone's got to be completely on the same page. And, and the only way to do that is communication, and making sure everyone has the, the same plans, knowing they're up to date on the programs and whatnot. So to ensure that there are smooth lines of communication between the client and the contractor or the builder, how, how does one do that? Firstly, if, if it's quite a big project and you've got no experience in it, re- research as much as possible. Stick to the plan. Don't change on a whim because you, you can change something in your head and the builders have got no idea how you want it unless it's communicated to them. So, and then you've always got to be mindful that if you're making stuff up on the fly, it could be something they've done two weeks ago in pre- preparation for something that's on the plan might not work now. So if, you, if you're unsure about what you're doing, you shouldn't be doing it because you're going you're gonna to end up going in circles and catching yourself out where you've got to undo work to redo it. So I'd always say if, if you're going to take it on, just be really careful and make sure that you know exactly what you're doing. Now, once you've got your team sorted, whether you're managing the project yourself or not, let's find out what these annoying little things that we can all be guilty of are. Here's a builder's tips on how to work with a builder. Schedule. Try not to change your mind. Don't slip into the trap of saying, oh, well, we're going to decide this later. Well, we're going to pick these tiles later or we're going to do this because some of these tiles and the more and more I see them or like some of these products like from Italy and all, all over Europe, the lead times can be like 15 weeks long. So some of, some of these uh, are longer than the whole project supposed to last. Communication's key and knowing exactly what you want before you start, I'd say, with anything. And if you feel like you're falling out with the, the contractor, it's but better to do it quiet time and if you're living in the property and the builders are coming in every morning every morning isn't the time you catch up like set set times set meetings because there's nothing worse than coming onto a job and you're you're trying to do one thing the 
clients taking the kids to school and you're trying to have this mismatch meeting of everyone talking and no one really gets anywhere but sitting down for half an hour once a week and saying right what are we doing and and getting on the same page is is key don't overload yourself with trying to think too much every morning about little details because the builder's going to go home and he's thinking about the job and you're coming in and you're looking and one one pet hate from me is don't come in and see an unplastered wall and ring the builder and say oh is this wall going to be plastered of course it is it'll be finished in the end so it seems like really like uh, basic to us why it's like this isn't there but if you come in and you're like oh well there's no cupboard doors on the kitchen it's like well we haven't finished do you know what i mean there's there's a lot of these silly questions where we get like are they being serious but you're you are people are actually unsure because they've never done this type of project before so there's a lot of handheld holding well now we know when we should all bite our tongues but that's not to say we shouldn't trust our intuition when it comes to hiring a builder so what would neil consider to be a red flag it's it's a tough one. I, I, I'm a bit weird, but I'll like judge people on how they act around people or like the way people present themselves. So like we we deal with so many different contractors, and a, a lot of the times it's always like someone who rocks up, who's a bit bolshy, giving it the big one, who's the highest quote, and he's always in the Range Rover. And I'm like, oh come on, mate. So it's like yeah, I'm not saying builders shouldn't have Range Rovers because everyone. <laughs> everyone should yeah everyone should be successful and good at what they're doing but it we the experience of us is like your manners around people as well and it's like are you approachable like if i was if i wanted to meet a builder i wouldn't want someone like rocking up and like like just being quite bolshy and like saying this is how it needs to be done or have you done this before I think we're as a, a an industry moving away from that white van man image, you know, with like newspapers and cigarettes and like it's more like clean cut now f- for us anyway. Ah, Neil, isn't he great? I did get a quote from him actually from my kitchen conservatory because as you know by now, he really does know his stuff. Although I did go with a builder my architect recommended purely to make those lines of communication really clear which Neil did say was key. Both of our guests so far have great advice to help answer the question, so how do you find a builder? Using their advice, I can sum it up as, number one, reach out to friends and family and find out who they would recommend. Word of mouth is key in this business, so speak to the people you trust. Sites like Checkertrade can be really useful as well. Number two, get at least three quotes and ask to visit their work in real life. Number three, once you've got your quotes, ask for references. And if you can, go and speak to the people without the contractor presence so you guys can get brutally honest. Number four, when you find a good builder, keep hold of them. I love the idea of home as a canvas for collecting treasures and have always been obsessed with finding objects for my home that feel unique, functional and beautiful. After years and years of internet searching, hunting high and low for the best homeware artisans and makers, I really struggled to find somewhere where all of these things were curated in one place. This was where the idea for Glassette began, who also happened to be another sponsor of this podcast. Last year, along with Dan, my brother-in-law, I launched Glassette, the new destination to shop all things home. 
Glasset is a treasure trove full of beautiful homeware from the UK's best and most creative independent brands that will not blow your budget. From artful prints for your gallery wall to intricately hand-blown glassware for dinner parties, we've considered every moment of a life well lived at home. My favourite thing about Glasset is that you can make a wish list for practically anything, whether it's a mood board for a room in your house, a wedding registry, I mean I don't know about you but I'd much rather a checkerboard rug than a microwave, or a shopping list for your next dinner party and then you can share it with your friends and family wherever they are for them to shop from it too. Gift giving and receiving just got way more exciting. Head to glasset.com and follow us at Glasset on Instagram for inspiration, weekly new arrivals and interior design tips and tricks from the most stylish homemakers I know. You might have got the memo by now, but I'm a bit of an interiors obsessive and our sponsor Archive has always provided me with plenty of inspiration. I've always dreamt of owning a house and used to fantasise about the interiors that it would have. After years of saving, we finally went searching for our dream home. We walked into the most perfect house, which had this Sanderson Country Trail wallpaper from 1979 in the living room. I instantly fell in love. Although this wallpaper is over 30 years old, there's something so now about the print. I've absolutely loved designing this room with my furniture against the vintage print. There is something so romantic about the history that the walls have. To my delight, I've recently discovered that the Sanderson Design Group have created a new brand called Archive that really breaks the barriers between heritage and modern. They've cherry-picked designs from their archive and reimagined them in riotous colour combinations for the ultimate maximalist look. You can find some serious interior inspiration on their Instagram at archive underscore SDG. And you can shop their reimagined designs for curtains, cushions, wallpaper, lighting. I mean, literally, that's my dream shopping list. And for a limited time, if you use the code LAURA10, that's L-A-U-R-A and the number 10, you will get a 10% discount. Great, right? You are just going to love everything. Let me know what you get. Now we all know how to find a builder and communicate with them. The last part is making sure those builders are well aligned with your visions so that they can help you make your interior design dreams a reality. My friend and interior designer, Sophie Rowell, knows that there's a lot more to designing beautiful and more importantly, practical spaces than seeing a photo online and trying to emulate it. So I had to rope her in on this episode. Well, don't look at Instagram. (laughs) (laughs) well do but you'll get confused it's an amazing tool but I also think you can get so lost in well that's nice and that's you know there's so many platforms available to us now Pinterest Instagram and I think you can get kind of overwhelmed by it all that's Sophie's advice on Instagram She spent 22 years working in fashion and did up three of her own homes before turning her hand to professional interior design and I, I got, I just got a real bug um, from it. Um, so I just took the plunge. I just, um, my situation personally changed. I was kind of 42, 43. And I was like, oh, it's now or never. So yeah, I took the plunge and I've, I've not looked back. It's been amazing. Now, I know that most people do take inspiration from photos online and won't have an interior designer across their renovation. So I asked Sophie, how can we make sure we aren't turning our homes into impractical Pinterest boards? Visuals, you know, make a file, 
bathroom file, a kitchen file, a lounge file. But in that, try not to get overwhelmed by stuff and try not to kind of go down a rabbit hole of a trend because the chances are, you know, you'll do it and then in five years it won't last because there'll be the next new thing. Um, So try not to go down too much down a rabbit hole with it. I think there's so much available to us now, which there wasn't before. And that is a good thing that Instagram, for instance, is good for because people are very generous with information, I think. And, you know, you can find out what the wall colour is without kind of trying to, you know, match it on a colour card next to the photo, you know, or you can you can DM someone and say, oh, I'm, I really love this. Could you just help me to find out what where you source that or you know there is like this community now that you can touch into I think. So where does an architect come into play then so is an architect someone that you employ at the beginning of the build is it after they've employed uh, an interior designer Um, we spoke to a build we spoke to Neil the builder and he said that they don't do any quotations on jobs until they have got the plans in place so does that have to be a plan from an interior designer or an architect? So, yeah, the architect is probably point one of the process. But it, I think if it is a good idea at that same point to get in your interior designer if you are taking that route because an architect is very – I mean, obviously there's some amazing ones out there as well that would come up with some incredible ideas. But it, it, I think it's always good to have – all of those people at the table at the same time um, injecting ideas that either one or the other hadn't maybe thought of. So I, I think if you are getting an interior designer involved, I would get both of those people involved from the start. It may seem quite early to bring on an interior designer before you even know where your walls are going, but don't underestimate the power of planning. There was one thing that Neil said about decorating that I think might be helpful if you're planning on leaving the decorating until the last minute. The worst thing you can do is paint all the walls white and then go, we'll decide later. I literally want to scream into a pillow because decorating is one of the hardest jobs on the build. It's like, we've got a really good decorator and it's just another level when he finishes. And when you see bad decorating, you can really see bad decorating. Now there's a whole other episode on painting and choosing colour schemes, which includes plenty of tips from the professionals in regards to DIY paint jobs. But if you're extending or renovating a home, the next tip is for you. For the sake of the final result, do try and settle on your colour scheme at the beginning, because if you're changing your mind midway through, you're potentially opening a can of worms. Obviously, things change all the time, but I think... um... It just makes everyone's job that little bit more, you know, longer. If the decision's been made, the process has started or sometimes (laughs) actually got to the end and then they decide, oh, I don't like it. Because obviously you've just got to start the whole thing again. You know, it's not, you know, and that's a lot of time. It's a lot of time involved. So, yeah, I would just say try and make a decision and stick to it. Possible. And I guess the details when you're doing a house 
are really important. I mean, there's the details in terms of where does the plug socket go? Where does the light switch go? But also the details of, are we going to have indoor plants? Are they going to be hanging indoor plants? Where are we going to have a light? Is the bulb going to be a bright bulb or a soft bulb? There's just so many details to think about. Yeah. And a lot of them you have to make very early on in the project when you're standing in a room, which if you're lucky has four walls to it. And I think that's one of the hardest things. There's a lot of thing, decisions that need to be made very early on, um, which impact everything later on. So you really do have to be super organised. And of course, as Sophie's worked on plenty of projects with builders, I want to know her tips on choosing and working with contractors to make sure everyone is on the same page. When you're picking a builder and you're picking your team, you know, listen to the language they use. If they're if they're creating problems or oh, I'm not sure about that. Be just be aware. You want someone that is a, a solution, make a solution out of nothing. That think on their feet. Don't worry, we can't actually do this, but this is what I'm thinking. You want someone that is a problem solver because problems arise all the time. So how does the process then work with an interior designer working with a contractor? Who establishes the working relationship there? I like to work very collaborative in a very collaborative way. So I would just say it's just, again, about communication. I mean, I work visually. That's how I work. I can't describe something to you without kind of showing you a picture of it or drawing it. But it's all about communication. So you could very well show a picture of, I don't know, a bench seat but then be clear about that. What part of that picture, you know, it's not, it's the shape I like. I don't like the colour of it and I don't like the material that they've used necessarily, but I want that shape. So it's it's all about being really communicating and not expecting someone to know what you're on about because it's all in your head. As you know, I do love a mood board. And to follow on from what Sophie said, do a mood board that's more than just a collection of Pinterest images. Canva.com is a really good free tool to use so you can put all of your screenshots and images you like in one place but then add notes. This gives your images context. If you know me, you know my life is a little bit hectic. At home I've got John, two very small people and a dog and they are not good for keeping things clean, especially the rugs. So let me tell you a little bit about our sponsor Ruggable. The rugs in my house get an absolute battering from mucky paws, the kids dropping all kinds of everything everywhere, and just general wear and tear of everyday life. Let's face it, you don't get someone in to clean your rugs every other month, and they don't fit in the washing machine. But then I was introduced to Ruggable. I put a Ruggable Jonathan Adler number in the kids' room, and I haven't looked back. It easily pops in the washing machine and comes out brand new. The Sudafed stain, gone. The Calpol half spilled everywhere, No problem. Having a rug that I can clean myself, dry and put back in the kids' room with minimal effort is my kind of cleaning. Now, if only I could put the kids and the husband in there as well. If you're a busy bee like me and you're looking for minimal effort but with maximum style, then head over to ruggable.co.uk to check out their gorgeous selection of rugs. And Ruggable, no, I love a bargain. Yes, I do. So they have kindly offered a 10% discount to you guys if you use the code LAURA10. That's L-A-U-R-A and the number 10 on their website to get your own washable rug. Let me know how you get on. 
I hope that's been a really useful guide to not only choosing your builder, but working and communicating with them from a project management point of view to an interiors point of view. Remember, for a builder, find three quotes and work off recommendations first and foremost. Be decisive, but place trust in your decisions and intuitions. Be honest, can you run the project yourself? Decide where your skills lie and where to get the professional help because it might save you money in the long run. For more advice, make sure you check out our Instagram page at So How Do You Podcast and listen to our other episodes as they all tie in so nicely together. Remember, if you're stuck on choosing your colour scheme, go and listen to the painting episode. There's some amazing advice in there. Anyway, thank you so much for listening. I'm Laura Jackson, and that's how you choose a builder. See you next time.